the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 3 this morning. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 16, Philippians chapter 3. In 2017, a 33-year-old Alex Honnold became the first person to climb a 3,000-foot granite wall in California, Yosemite National Park, known as El Capitan. Maybe some of you have been there or seen pictures of it, uh, but it's quite a climb. And he did it with no ropes and no safety gear. Imagine that. As I watched some interviews with him, a documentary about this climb, read some different articles when I heard that he climbed it without ropes and having been been there before and standing looking up at that granite wall, to me it sounded impossible, if not crazy. Most in the uh, rock climbing world think that uh, it's the greatest rock climbing feat uh, in rock climbing history. Usually, people who even climb it with ropes uh, make the news that they climbed it. As I uh, was looking at, he drew, a, had a map laid out of the way he climbed that uh, zigzagged back and forth through 30 sections, uh, through this whole network of these cracks and fissures in the rocks, some that he could put his whole arm into, and others that were only as wide enough to get his knuckle in. Again, no ropes, no harnesses. Uh, no safety gear or netting below him. And one of the things that I found interesting was after the fact, later when they talked to him about climbing it, uh, he talked about the need for physical strength and all the training he had done. He talked about endurance. But one of the things he spent a while on, because they asked him, well, aren't you afraid at any time in there? And he talked about the need to have mental focus, uh, that his thoughts had to be on what he was doing and the next step. I mean, he had had it planned out in a sense, almost choreographed of the way that he would go and the route, but he had to keep this mental focus. He faced uh, the troubles of exhaustion, fatigue uh, on your hands, your feet, your legs, but also the challenge of a lack of certainty um, that could you make it or not. But he made it. And he climbed it in three hours and 56 minutes. No ropes, no safety gear, no harness. And I was thinking about that climb this week as I read the text because just as um, Alex pressed on to the summit and got to the top of El Capitan, the Apostle Paul uh, tells us, as our brother Joel was just reading from other scripture, that we are to press on spiritually in this life and pursue Jesus Christ And Jesus Christ is our goal. This morning, as we look at verses 12 through 16, the scriptural truth from the text is this. We must pursue Christ-likeness with unwavering perseverance, forsaking past accomplishments, and trusting on God's transforming grace. We're going to read verses 12 through 16 of Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writes and says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind 
and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Again, the blessing that we have to open the pages of Scripture, the words of God, church, for you today to live by. And so, Father, we pray and ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Look with me at verses 12 through 13 and the first point of not there yet. We are not there yet. At least this is what the Apostle Paul says when he writes to the church. Again, we were just looking at last week uh, in the verses previous um, about everything. Uh, the achievements in life were all rubbish or dung, and this um, laying aside of these things fit in here perfectly with this today. But he also says at the end of verses uh, 10 and 11, he points to uh, the resurrection, glorification, being with Christ for eternity. And he says here in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. The word perfect there, it means complete uh, and what he says is, I'm not there yet. I have not been perfected. I have not complete. And we know from Scripture that that, does, that completeness or that perfection does not happen on this side of heaven. We read earlier in uh, Philippians 1 that what uh, God starts in us, uh, he finishes. And we know that from Ephesians chapter 2, that he grants us faith to believe, and he seals us by the Holy Spirit. He does not lose us. And while we walk in this world today, amidst all the struggles, amidst the dark world, amongst the temptations to sin, that he is the one that does a work uh, we call sanctification, uh, looking forward to the day of glorification. And he says, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect there yet, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I don't know about you, but over my lifetime, growing up in the church and then reading scripture and reading about the Apostle Paul, especially in the book of Acts, you begin to think, this guy's a super Christian. This guy has no problems in life. And then you go, well, no, he got beaten and he got persecuted. He got thrown in prison. But when you read these letters to the churches and what he challenges and tells Christians to do, at times you might think, that's impossible. Well, maybe that you can do that as impossible, but I can't live that way or I can't accomplish that. I can't do those things. And so I'm thankful for passages of Scripture like this because the Apostle Paul is very humble and admits where he is at in his walk with Christ. He confesses that he's not obtained perfection or completeness yet, as we may think, well, wait, that's the Apostle Paul. Um, but uh, he doesn't let uh, those things stop him. And you may, well, stop him from what? Because he's talking about pressing on for this. We'll look back at verse 8 from the text we read last week. He says, Indeed, I count everything a what? A loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing who? Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What he is striving after and pressing forward onto and does not want something to stop him from is from knowing Christ is from knowing Christ. He said it's worth everything to set aside and be rid of uh, and to seek Christ. 
He says uh, there, if you look at verse 12, I press on to make it my own. And then he says, because Christ has made me his own. Those two phrases there, make it my own and made me his own, it means to take hold of, it means to seize. And therefore, as he's striving to take hold of Christ, he makes a wonderful statement. And if you're a Christian in here, you can also make that same statement. He says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Go and read Acts chapter 9 this week. In Acts chapter 9, you see uh, the conversion of Saul, uh, the apostle Paul, a man who is going to, uh, after other Christians. He has a letter in hand to go and persecute and imprison and kill Christians, which he writes of in other letters. <clears throat> but when you read Acts chapter 9, there is no mistake that Christ Jesus made Paul his own. He stopped him on the road to Damascus. He blinded him. And he's like, who are you, Lord? And he said, Jesus. And he gives him some instructions. But it was that day, which Paul writes in other letters, is the day of salvation. And it was Christ who stopped him, Christ who saved him, Christ who seized him and gave him the faith to believe in him. And so if you're a Christian here today, you should be joyful about this text here but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. And I pray that every single person in this room can say this this morning. Christ has made me his own. And what we're reminded of in this is that Jesus Christ, he's the one who did the work to make us his own. It is a wonderful, glorious thing that you and I do not have to do any work to, to, to be, uh, for Christ to make us his own. You don't have to go through a class, a course, read the Bible enough times, go to church. You don't have to do these types of religious things so that Christ would make you his own. He does all the work. And at the cross, Jesus Christ bore your sins. And when he died and shed his blood, the way he makes you his own is he purchases you with his blood. He buys his people with his blood that forgives us, that breaks the bond of slavery to sin. We are forgiven, we are set free, we are purchased, and therefore we can join with the Apostle Paul it's because Christ has made me his own. And not only did he shed his blood so that we would be saved, but he bore the wrath of God the Father meant for you, meant for me. So that we would not have to bear that and die in our sins and be cast into hell for eternity. And Jesus Christ died. And on the third day, what happened, church? He rose again from death to life. The Father accepting his sacrifice. And that by faith in Jesus Christ, we may be saved. That is the gospel. This is what Paul is rejoicing in that Christ Jesus has made me his own. And if you're a follower of Christ, you too can claim that today. Well, Paul digs in deeper there if you look at verse 13 and pointing out that he's not there yet. Uh, the goal of knowing Christ Jesus is still in sight. It's what he's pressing on after. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Again, he humbly admits he is not there yet Turn to the book of Romans, chapter 7. 
the book of Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 7 of the struggle that he has as he is living the Christian life and walking uh, daily, striving after Christ. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in verses, beginning in verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want... It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Is this familiar to any of you? Any of you feel right there with Paul? Go ahead. Why am I doing that? I don't want to do that. I want to do this because God calls me, but I'm doing this. Well, look what he says in verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul humbly states that he's not there yet, that he battles with sin, but he gives the answer of God's grace in Jesus Christ to bring us through, to help us in those moments that we so struggle with sin and the old self, the old person that's dead, we're created new in Christ. But there's always the battle to go back to the old that's dead and in the grave. There's always the temptation to go back to the things of the world, the way we lived before Christ seized us and made us his own. And so I'm thankful that the Apostle Paul is honest because, I mean, imagine being a believer and hearing in the Word of God about how well the Apostle's doing and that he would never mention sin, but only about how everything was great, you'd think, well, hey, there's, I struggle with these things. I could never attain that. And so his honesty about not being there yet, not being complete, not being perfect, but pressing on towards knowing Christ is also what we should be doing to press on to know Christ. It also reminds us that between salvation or justification and glorification that we live in this world in this time, that word sanctification, this process of God transforming us, making us more and more like Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the Paul, Paul writes of this transforming grace of God in which he says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When you, as a believer, sin, what will you do? What do you do? Are you reminded 
that you're not there yet? Or do you go into a self-pity mode? Woe is me. And I continue to just go back into these things. It's because the old self loves that. Paul says to press on, to know Christ because it's so worth it. In verses 13 through 14, he continues on with this pressing on. He says, there's one thing that I do. One thing I do. And the one thing that he says that he does is the one thing that is supposed to be your one thing. Your one thing is to be focused on Jesus Christ and knowing him above everything. Church, that is the one thing for your life as a Christian. The one thing for your life should be knowing Christ. And that's through the word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, giving you understanding and applying it in your life. King David writes in Psalm chapter 27, verse 4, he says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Do you pray that daily? Do you pray the one, for the one thing that we would know Christ and grow in Christ? In 1991, I was a sophomore in high school on the track and field team was running the 110 hurdles. There was a guy from Woodlake High School, which was uh, my main competitor. There was another guy from Strathmore High School. The three of us would uh, battle in the 110 hurdles between first and second place throughout the year. Uh, most of the time, we were running on dirt tracks, and we came to Porterville College for a track meet, which uh, was an all-weather track, so we're like, yes, our times are going to be faster. Uh, we got set, um, and on my left lane was uh, the guy from Woodlake High School. On my right was the guy from Strathmore High School. We got set. The gun goes off, and we begin to take off. We get to the second hurdle, and I'm like, this is something different than all the races in the year. I'm like, where are they? There's no one on my right. There's no one on my left. And so I make the biggest mistake in a race, and I look over my left shoulder to see where the guy from Woodlake was, and as I turned my head back, it was enough to get my step off that I hit the next hurdle and go down and see everyone finish the race. And so with my head hung low, knowing exactly what I did, I just walked off the track to the infield with my knees all bloodied and bruised. Paul says the one thing that he does is forget what is behind him and strain towards what lies ahead. I've always thought, if I would have never looked back, would I, would have had, would I have got first place and had the best time of my year? But instead, I looked back to see, where are these people? And that is the great challenge and temptation for all of you who are in Christ, is to look back at your life, to look behind of all your past sins and all your past achievements. Because... All your past sins can distract you. You're like, oh, why, why would the Lord forgive me of those things? Or to go back to those old things and to live those things again. Or to look at those great achievements and to give more 
praise and glory to those things and, 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 and make yourself more prideful than to give glory to God. The word they're forgetting there in verse 13, it's, it, it means to lose out of mind by implication to neglect. I was praying this week that every single day for the rest of your life, whenever you see a trash can, that you will remember this text. That every time you see a trash can in your home or on the street, every time you throw something in the trash, that you would be reminded of this. To forget the past. Because what happens, as we were reading some of these scriptures before, and now if we're running a race, and you're running a race, and you're running down the track, or you're running the course, the marathon, or whatever, it's almost like running down, and you come across a trash can, and you stop and take the lid off to see what's in there. And you start digging around in there. Like, man, I could find something in here good. All the while, everyone's passing you down the road. You're not running towards the finish line. You're so distracted to know what's in the trash can. You're like, oh, man, here's that old thing, that achievement I did. And you sit there, you're just spending your time staring at the thing when you should be running down the course. Oh, that was wonderful. When I did. Yeah. Oh, these things are great. But then it's also the old stuff, the old life, the old sins. And you're like, ah. Oh. Yeah, but that was a lot of fun. And there's a temptation to go back to those things. It's a temptation to pull that old coat that you used to wear before you were made righteous in Christ and to put that old dead self back on. That's the battle. So I hope that every time you see a trash can that you'd be reminded, get my head out of the trash. Quit looking at the past achievements and the past sins and set my eyes on Christ and keep running there's a children's story, the tortoise and the hare. Some of you know it well. There was a race. And the hare was extremely fast. And the, the tortoise was extremely slow. And one of the versions I was looking at that we have at our house was uh, seeing that the hare uh, takes off and he's running and he decides to visit all these people's homes along the way and, and he'd stop and have some food and these things and the tortoise just slow and steady wins the race and he's just jogging along. The hare then sees him and he passes him again, stops at this person's house or whatever and it gets towards the end of the race and the hare is so far ahead he's like, man, I'm tired. I'm going to lay down and take a nap goes to sleep. He's, aw he's awoken by cheers going on and he looks up and he takes off running and it's the tortoise crossing the finish line. And that is exactly in ways that we uh, live our life as a Christian. We're to run the race and finish it we're not supposed to stop along the side of the way and dig through the trash can. We're not supposed to stop over here and take a nap. No matter how spiritually tired you are, God will give you his mercies and strength to finish the race. Philippians 1, what he began, he will finish. He will not lose one of his people, and therefore we rejoice in that. And at the same time, we pray, Holy Spirit, keep my eyes fixed on the finish line, which is not necessarily the streets of gold in heaven. I know that we're all excited about that. We love reading in Revelation about heaven. 
That's a blessing and a benefit of the goal, which is knowing Christ. That's what you are to press on towards. That's the one thing, forgetting what is behind. And it says straining forward, this picture of stretching forward physically. Uh, over the years, you might have seen some of these races, uh, international races, or maybe even Olympic races, where you'll see someone, as they finish the line, they're literally almost stretching out or stretching their body and sticking their head out. Some of them where they're falling on the ground. That's the picture of how much you should be straining towards Jesus Christ and finishing that race. Last night, a brother in Christ here in our church, Al Remington, uh, finished the race. He passed away around 6.30 last night. And it was a joy over the past months and even over the past few years as he battled cancer um, to hear him just talk about the things of God. To talk with him after a sermon or see him at a different time and him to mention things about Christ. He was straining towards the finish line. He longed to be with Jesus. And that's where he is today. And that's what we should long for, to be with Jesus Christ. We already had it read, but I want to read it again. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 helps us in how we are um, to have this one thing mindset it says this in verses one and two therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith looking to who jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is settled and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That picture of throwing off every weight that bears us down, sin, again, the stuff in the trash can. A number of years ago, when I used to do uh, youth ministry, um, we would, would do a lot of fun games and different things. And we had this relay race that I loved to do um, you would have some different teams, and you split up the teams on both ends of the gym. And these teams, you brought up a trash bag, and what was in there, they didn't realize until you said go, they had to put all of it on. And so we would have, uh, these were mainly junior hires that we were working with at that time, and uh, so we got huge adult-sized clothes. And so they had to put on a big pair, of, they had to put a shirt on and button it. They had to put uh, overalls on. Uh, they had to pull on these big old huge wool socks and then put on steel-toed boots and then a big old hat and they had to run to the other end. It's quite a comical thing. A number of times they're falling down. They're laughing. They're getting frustrated. They get down to the end. They got to take it all off and give that to the other person who's got to do the same back and forth until they finish. And I always think of that when I read the scripture because it's like once you get all those, those oversized clothes off, you're like, oh, it's free. I can walk normal again. 
And the same thing Scripture's telling us. All that old stuff, we got to throw it to the side. Some of you today may be being challenged by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. There's things in your life today that you know is weighing you down from pressing on towards the goal of knowing Christ, and you need to get rid of it today. It needs to go in the trash can, and it needs to be forgotten, and your eyes need to be fixed on Jesus. If that's what the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart right now, then just pray right now. Holy Spirit, reveal that to me. Give me the ability and the strength, the encouragement, the accountability from others to do that. Sometimes, um, over the years in ministry, a, a believer will tell me, uh, Pastor, it's been months since I read Scripture. I'm just really struggling with this. I'm like, okay. Uh, no, you, you don't realize I'm, I'm really just having a trouble with this. Okay, well, um, what has changed? And then they generally, they will go into a list of things that came into their life, and those things began to weigh them down uh, and take their eyes off Christ, and the times that they would devote to Scripture got put to the side, almost forgotten. And so what is it that is weighing you down that is taking your eyes off of Jesus Christ that needs to be removed. And again, you need to pray because God is faithful to answer his people and the Holy Spirit will give you the ability and the power and the strength to walk in holiness. He says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus just as it was mentioned earlier, earlier, the marathon here in Missoula just recently. The marathon runners, they train to finish. They run many, 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 many more miles before they ever get to the marathon. Just preparing to finish. Because running a marathon, you need endurance. And your life in Christ between now and the day you're with him is like a marathon and you need the endurance. And so just as a runner would run for practice to grow in their endurance, you're encouraged and I am encouraged to press on towards that goal of knowing Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Again, the one thing is Jesus Christ and knowing him. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus taught uh, two sisters, Mary and Martha, some friends of his. He came to their house, and he taught them that the relationship with him, time with Christ, was so more important than being busy. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha's busy working. And Jesus explains to her, the right thing is to spend time with me. How many of you are so busy, even during the summer, that you're doing all kinds of stuff, all kinds of work, all kinds of things going on, that there is no time to sit at the feet of Jesus. If that's where you find yourself, you need to stop, 
evaluate these things this morning. Holy Spirit, help me in this. Some of you need to make a hard decision because there's stuff that you need to throw off in your life and it's something you so enjoy and love doing. Some of you need the Holy Spirit to help you to throw those things to the side. Even if it's to set it aside and do less of that. Or maybe it's something completely to be removed from your life so that you can focus on the one thing which is knowing Christ. This is the thinking that Paul uh, is talking about. And so he says this in the third point is think this way. In verses 15 and 16 he says think this way. How is it or how does your mind work throughout the day, even, even as you sit here this morning as the word is being preached? How does your mind work? What is it that your mind goes to? What is it that you spend time throughout the day or week just thinking about? For some of you, it may be the worries of life, and you're so thinking upon all the trouble in this world and in your life that all it is you're worrying and anxiety and worry and worry and worry, and what if this happens, and what if that happens, and what happens there is your eyes are not set on the one thing. It's all the worries about whatever it is, paying bills or family issues here or health over here or what if this job or school or all this, and all those things begin to distract you. What is it that you set your mind on? He says in verse 15, Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. When he says, let those who are mature think this way, he's referring to the verses that he just laid out, even where we were at last week in verses 8 through 10. But what he's encouraging is that those who are mature in Christ to think this way. So therefore, those of us who are not mature in Christ need to strive towards maturity of Christ to think this way. Look at chapter 2 of Philippians, where we were at a few weeks ago. In verse 5, he's already told them this once. In verse 5 of chapter 2, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in who? In Christ Jesus. He's already told them. And if you remember, he goes on and says, Have the mind of Christ, which is one of being humble, of, of humbling yourself like Christ did. He says, follow the example of Christ, who humbled himself and served his people by giving his life for us. And therefore, you to do uh, likewise. But he says, have the mind of Christ. Here he says, think this way of striving and pressing on towards the mind of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul urges us believers to use their minds. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? You see what he's saying here? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the renewing of your mind goes back here to verse 16. Think this way. Chapter 2, verse 5. Have the mind of Christ. This is what we should be asking. Holy Spirit, today, give me the mind of Christ. And you know where you find the mind of Christ? Any guesses? 
and the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit opens the Word of God so that your mind has understanding and you think as Christ thinks and therefore then you are walking and you're running and you're pressing on and when you see the trash can, it's like, no, I need to think this way. Knowing Christ and the Holy Spirit empowers you to press on and continue and have the one thing of knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior. Here in this text, and we'll see this as we go in the next few weeks as well, he's encouraging uh, the believers to be united in this same mindset of Christ-likeness as the goal. That's something we are seeking and going after and, and, and growing into. And one of the things that, if you look here back at verse 15 and 16, that we learn, as we grow in Christ Jesus, um, the way we used to think changes. The way you used to think before Christ dramatically changes once you're saved. But even in your first days or maybe first years as a follower of Christ, and the longer you walk with Christ and know Christ and grow in Christ, your thinking changes. And that's one of the glorious things about reading Scripture is God is always teaching us new, and He's always correcting our thinking that even our theology and what we believe about God changes the more we spend time in God's Word. The number of things, I was thinking about this a while back, that I used to believe about God, about the Holy Spirit, about Christ, and the more reading of the Word, and the Holy Spirit giving understanding, good. oh, that, no, that's not right. Ah, oh, because these scriptures say this. And the joy that comes from growing in the knowledge of Christ and growing and becoming more mature. 1 Peter chapter 2. In some of the letters that Paul writes, and here also Peter, they write about uh, the milk or spiritual milk of the milk of God's word. And just as a baby craves milk, a new believer craves the milk of the word of God. But in some of the other letters, like when Paul writes to the church of Corinth, he's like, I couldn't give you the meat, the spiritual meat of the word of God yet because you're still on the milk. You need the milk, but you need the meat. You need to grow to the point. I mean, imagine as just people, if all we ever did was just drink milk, at least I'd be bummed because I like steak. I like meat, especially barbecued or smoked. Milk's okay. But imagine if you lived your life all the days that God grants you just in spiritual milk. In the sense of, oh, I got a verse for the day. If grape gatherers, gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? Okay. And you go on. Some of you are good with just the one verse a day. Not that God can't use that and grow you, but that you would have this desire to be in the Word of God. And to read it and to grow in your understanding. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Peter says this So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If you didn't read this, pick up on that there, we're being built up. We're being perfected. We're being completed. And one day when we're glorified, our soul without sin, our body raised from the grave, made completely new, joined together, glorified with Jesus for eternity, that is the goal that we seek after. That is what we should be praying for one another and encouraging and praying and asking for the Lord to do in us. When you shoot a bow or a rifle at a target with a bullseye, you need to be precise. When you're shooting a bow or a rifle, your stance and your posture is important. It's got to be aligned. You've got to be stable, not off balance. The sight or, or the scope that you have has to be adjusted You have to pay attention to distance. You have to pay attention to the wind, the other weather, the hot, the cold. All these things are taken into account so you can get the one thing, the target, the bullseye. But here's the thing. You don't just go down to the range and just try it once. You practice repeatedly over and over and over until it becomes natural. This is the pressing on that we're called to do. Practicing, in a sense, by reading the word over and over and over. By being in fellowship with the body of Christ over and over and over again. Serving one another over and over and over again. Doing these things. And as you do that, and in a sense practice, God causes you to grow in maturity And as we read in 1 Peter, being built up in him. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, you see that? Set your mind on what? Things that are above, not things that are on the earth. So we do, we set our mind on Christ Jesus who is seated in heaven, who's ruling and reigning right now, who has gone to go and prepare and make a place for us, who's returning one day. Those things should flood your mind throughout the day constantly. Go and read Ephesians chapter 1 of all the spiritual blessings that God has granted you now as you await the day of being with Him. That's part of this practicing so that you would think in this way. And so we bring this to a close. We look at what Paul has written here for us to read in verses 12 through 16. We're reminded that we're not there yet. We're not completed. We're not perfected. But God promises to do that. We press on towards the goal, fixing our eyes on Christ, passing up the trash cans and throwing everything behind that hinders us down, not looking behind us so that we would strive towards the goal of Christ's likeness. And as you do that, know that you do not do that on your own power. It's the Holy Spirit in us 
God Almighty, the power of God, causing us to grow and become spiritually mature. And so church, this morning, if you are in Christ, may you rejoice in the transforming work and power of God's grace on your life that you would press on until you finish that race. And if you are here and you came into this place with no fear for God, not following after Christ, and you are apart from Him, you must know that apart from Christ dying in your sins, you'll be cast into hell for eternity. And I pray that God has opened your eyes. And I pray that the Holy Spirit has shown you the cross and the blood of Christ and the empty tomb and that you would believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you would believe that he died on the cross in your place for your sins and that he rose again. He's ruling and reigning and will return. And know this, God is faithful. That as you call out and say, Lord, save me, he saves you. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you because you are faithful. You have promised and you answer. You never fail us. You are, you are in control of all things. Nothing surprises you. From the beginning to the end, you know all things and you know our minds and you know our hearts and we are asking that you would continue to pour out your grace and mercy upon us. Would you give us the strength and endurance to run, to press on, to run past the things that we need to forget, to throw off the things that hinder us. Father, we long for the day that we finish the race and fall down before you and praise you for eternity. Father, we pray that you would do a saving work in the lives of the lost, and we pray that you would build up the lives of those who are in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.